I'm going to tell you a story. We're talking tonight about why bother getting married. That's the, the topic. I was invited a couple of years ago to a high school. The topic was, surprise, surprise, they invited a rabbi, intermarriage. <coughs> this is the topic. Um, it was a public high school here in Montreal. And they um, had told me that there was a priest that had come and spoken to the students and a minister who had come and spoken to the students. And now they wanted a rabbi's perspective. So I said, okay, that's nice. I'm, 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 I'll talk about intermarriage. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've got the kippah and the beard. Kids are going to think I'm crazy. So I'll put on like, a, I don't know, I'll put on something, uh, something easy. So I had like a... I was borrowing from Purim. It was right after Purim. I was borrowing somebody's leather jacket because I was I dressed up as a gangster for Purim. So, <laughs> so I said, you know what? I got the leather jacket anyway. So I put on the leather jacket. I figured you guys will think I'm cool. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, I walk in. I was a little late, as I usually am. And I see up there in the front of the room, there's a priest and a minister sitting, and there's a chair empty for me. Like, hold on a second, this wasn't a debate. I thought they were here already. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm sorry, I'm late. And like, I go to the front, and the priest is in his collar, and the minister is dressed nicely, and here's me with my over-like-size <laughs> motorcycle jacket. <laughs> anyway, I sit down. The priest was in the middle of talking. And he's talking, he's very sharp and very strong. He's saying, intermarriage is a sin, and you're living in sin. And you can't do that. And he's going on. And he tells this story. I don't even remember what he was saying about two, a Protestant and a Catholic. They got married and what it did. And it destroyed their life and divorce. And he's like, fire and brimstone on these kids. Then the minister gets up and he's like, you know, we live in this world of equality. We live in a world where all people can live together. It's not so bad for a Protestant and a Catholic to get married you know, maybe years ago, they wanted to keep things tight. They wanted to keep things strong. They wanted to live in their little ghettos. But today, we live in an open society. So intermarriage is not so bad. Now, I'm listening to the minister, and I know I'm next. And, and I'm thinking to myself, if I say intermarriage is wrong, I'll be a priest. If I say intermarriage is right, I'll be a minister. What the heck am I going to say? So I stand up in front of the room, looked around, and I said, why bother? Why bother getting married? All of a sudden, you can hear like a little giggle and go across the room. I said, really, why bother getting married? Tax like, deductions. Tax deductions. <laughs> tax deductions. I said, why don't you look? You're a mom, you find a girl, go live with her. Why the formalities? Why the marriage? You should see the priest. It's like red in the face. He's boiling, he's about to punch me. <laughs> he's like coming to the edge of his seat. He's like about to, he says to me, but that's living in sin. Who cares? I'm with him. It's a modern world. Let's abolish marriage. 
an old-fashioned ritual that doesn't really mean anything, costs our parents or us a lot of money. Nice little party, but if you want an excuse for a party, I can find you a hundred excuses for a party. I don't need a marriage. The whole place is like an uproar. There's like two Jewish kids in the back laughing. But... <laughs> After it calmed down, I turned to the room and I said to them, there's only one reason why we get married, why we get married. And it's not because we're trying to keep in the faith. And it's not because it's good or it's bad or it's anywhere in the middle. We get married because 5,700 and 72 years ago, God said to Adam, do not commit adultery. And that's it. And that's why, if you're religious or you're not religious, you're running to the priest, you're running to the rabbi, you're running to the imam, no matter if you ever saw a rabbi in your life, you may have never even seen a rabbi in your life, the moment you want to get married, you're running to the rabbi because marriage <clears throat> is a godly thing. I want, to put, I want to put this story aside for a second, we'll get back to this concept in a second. I want to hear pro or against. Let's see what, how our room is divided. Pro or against? Pro or against marriage? Pro. I'm not sure. Sit in the middle. <laughs> you. Pro or against? One thing on the fence, but depending on the situation. On the fence, okay. We've got another one on the fence. We'll keep you guys pro. Well, no, I'm pro. Are you pro or pro? Pro? Okay, we'll keep you guys pro. What about you? Pro or against? <laughs> You're pro? Okay, switch seats. <laughs> pro or against? I'm pro. Pro? Huh? Against? Just for the sake of the sake You're against? You better be strong about that. Okay. You're pro or against? Four. Okay, so basically we got one person in the middle, one person against, and everybody else is pro. This is going to be an easy group. Okay, so let's, let's just talk about why bother. We'll start off. Why bother? I just read this morning, I love reading as a hobby anything that comes out of relationships. Anything that's pseudo-psychology, anything that's garbage, that's good, that's bad, and anything in the middle... I just like it. It's fun. So, there's a study that came out from the University of Michigan this morning. Saw it on WebMD. And the study said that the divorce rate in the United States of America in the year 2011 is at... 50. 60. 60. <laughs> 58. 58. Okay. Wow, you guys have no hope for that country. Uh, yeah? 67%. 67%. 62%. It is Google. 62% in 2011. You understand what that means? That means that if you get married, the odds are not even one to two that you're going to get divorced. The odds are so much against that you're against that marriage, against that union. Almost two to three. It's not. It's 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 almost. It's it's unbelievable to even think that marriage can work. So. We have a big problem that we're dealing with here. A big problem that our world is dealing with. And that is, marriage does not work. Period. There's nothing to talk about. 
I mean, with numbers like that, when you walk into somebody's 50th wedding anniversary, you better give them a big mazel tov, because that is not just a mazel tov, that is a miracle. That is a miracle. A guy gets up at his 50th wedding anniversary, he's like, 50 years, 50 years, 50 years, like two days. They're like, oh, that's so romantic. Two days, that's so nice. Yeah, tissue bubble, young kipper. <laughs> so, it's not, it's not even, it's science now. We've proven marriage does not work. So why bother? Why bother? Why get into it? Why all the focus, the destiny? And I'm hearing these words and I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, look at, you know, it's interesting because if you look at this, I should, if I would have had time, I would have made two separate things. You have the pros and the cons here, right? Destiny, I hear. Companionship, commitment, continuity, love, compatibility, respect. I see things like fresh share and happiness and partnership and passionate romance. But then I see things like fear, divorce. I see things like um, cost. Cost could be pro-work. Okay. So, why, why, why should we do it? I mean, really. And, and, and on top of it, why the whole thing? Why does it have to be marriage? Why does it have to be an institution? Why does it have to be where you make a whole big deal about it and you put on a dress and you put on a tuxedo and you go to the altar or you go to the bima? Well, to me, you don't have to make a whole big deal about it. It's a piece of paper. It's a mindset. It's a being. And in terms of divorce, the rape in the States, it's actually got to do with the mindset of society. Why? So, because it's become socially acceptable and people don't believe on working on their own uh, relationships as they did 50 years ago. Something else interesting. If you bring this up, I'll bring it up as well. In 1978, the average age of marriage was? 18. 18. 22. 21. 21 years old was the average age of marriage in 1978. In 2008, average age of marriage? 30. 35. 30. 38. 30. You know how many years that is? That's 17 years. That 17-year jump in how many years? In 30 years. 40 years, I'm sorry. No, 30, 30, 30. In 30 years, there was a 17-year jump in the average age of marriage. And there's still 60% divorce. And still 60% divorce. They're like, where, where do they have time to get divorced? Okay. Your lifespan is longer than that, so. Okay, fine, right. 20, yes. 30s into 20, 40s into 30. Part of it made it... <clears throat> Part of it is also the fact that because you have that jump of 17 years over that 30 year gap, there are a lot more people getting married now than there were 20 years ago. It doesn't matter. It's, it's actually not that much different. No, it's not that much different. Yes, there's population growth, but there's not really population growth. No, no, but there was that so, stagnant period when that gap went from 21 to 38. Yeah, there, there, there is, but it's not that drastic that there should be such a 17 year gap. It's a huge gap. Yes. And that's a very high number. That's a very high number. As a species, as the world species, North America has the lowest, the lowest birth rate by far in, of any countries, of any continent, by far. Not even like, not even a question. And where's, and where's the place with the lowest birth rate, period? Quebec. You know that. Lowest birth rate in the world. In the world, in 
in the world. That would give most incentives to have your poison. Well, I guess that's why we need it. Lowest birth rate in the world. We are seeing a modern shift that is both good and bad. And I don't know. I'm not going to say anything either way. I'm giving you the information here. I'm not going to tell you whether it's good or bad. You can decide that for yourself. I think that one of the most important things that we need to realize when it comes to marriage, when it comes to the idea of getting into, into a relationship, that the reason why marriage doesn't work is because marriages in our society today are two hours long. They're exactly the length of a romantic comedy. We watch it how many times? How many romantic comedies came out in the theaters this year? You know that it's the biggest genre? Oh, sorry. Horror is the biggest genre. Right below the genre of horror, I don't know how that happened, but I'm not getting into that. I will never watch that stuff. Shockingly, horror is the biggest, is by far, what's the average, who's going to see horror movies? Did you know? 18-year-old girls. Tell me why right under horror is romantic comedies. Romantic comedies are huge, gross, gross, grossing movies. So for the past, I don't know how many years, and now since the 90s, there's this huge explosion of romantic comedies. We watch, sometimes every day of the week, marriages last two hours. It starts, it goes through the ups and downs, and it's over in two hours. And you see, the problem is like this. The subconscious doesn't know the difference between what they see and what they see. Which means if you see something in real life and you see it on TV, shockingly, the subconscious can't tell the difference. We obviously know that it's TV, but our subconscious doesn't. And what do we see? I see it so often now, especially with couples that are coming to see me. One of the biggest things that I see now is that they are mimicking the movies. Couples today, especially New, newly or married couples are mimicking the movies. It's the only way they know how to have a relationship, is the way they saw it in the movies, the way they read it in the books. So we have a, a, a disposable society that was created. And within the disposable society, we have a disposable marriage society that was created. So unless we're going to become conscious of this, unless we're going to realize that this is the problem that's one of the problems that's facing the, the marriage world today and the world of relationships today, unless we're going to change that consciously, there's no way we're ever going to be in a successful relationship. But again, it takes two to tango. What does that mean? I mean, you can, have, you can go in with everything you just said, but if you meet somebody who doesn't share the same views as you, you're still not going to make a marriage work. So... So, so why bother? Why bother? It's not going to work. It's too complicated. It's tough. It takes a lot of compromise. It's just easier. You live alone. You know what's going to happen. You know what's in the fridge. No one took anything out of your fridge when you live alone. You know, when you left your bed unmade in the morning, you know it's not going to be made. You know, it's predictable. Life is predictable. Life is fine. 
What do we need all the drama for? We need drama with soap operas. What do we need to have it in our own life? Our life should be status quo, plateau. How about that? You happy? There's better things in life to pursue, like money. I think it's a good idea. Careers, advancement. Make a, make a, a valid contribution to this world. Sounds good to me. Any objections? I find in society right now, it's been, I'm just talking more for women now, but I find that women, are, since they came to the workforce in the last 50, 50 years ago, women didn't, didn't really work. Now they're all saying, I'm not going to be reliant on a man. I'm going to go and become a lawyer, a doctor, and everything, and, which, is, which is great. But I think, uh, you know, if you, if you talk to a few women who are with major career women, some of them might, have, might go and say, well, I think it may be interfered with my finding a husband in my mid-late 20s, and now I'm... It's so interesting. If you look at um, the lives of the celebrities, which we love to watch so often, if you look at their lives, you'll see they all say the same thing. When my career goes up, my love life goes down. When my love life is up, my career is down. Why can't those two things live in harmony? Why, why not? Because the media? Because the media? Because the media? No, I, I, I think... I think that both of them, both of them are, are full-time jobs. Well, they, they can be, but in, the, in this, terms of Hollywood people, they're in the spotlight, so it's even worse. Right. In terms of the average person, you could have both. You think you can be successful in business and be successful in, in marriage? I've seen it many times. Interesting. So you find that person to be successful in both, right? Because, okay, maybe once you have that one person, but to make an effort and to put the effort needed, I think that's where it's difficult to balance both. On J Montreal, I uh, made a rule that if, I t with the matchmakers, I made a rule that if there's an op if someone's dating, you can't give them another match while they're dating. I think it's insane. Well, you know, people have choices. What do you mean you're dating someone, date them? Anyway, somehow, last week, there was a mistake and somebody got two dates sent to them at the same time. It's literally the same exact time. Someone got two dates. So I called him up and I said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to choose one of the two dates. It was a mistake. Two matchmakers were on line at the same time and sent you a date at the same time. So he's like, why? I could date two girls at the same time. It's confusing, no? How is that possible? How is that possible? <laughs> Maybe he doesn't have a job. Right? Maybe that's what it is. He doesn't have a job. How is it But is it a relationship or is it a game? It's not a relationship, it's a date. Well, let's say they both get serious. What are you going to do then? Well, then you choose at that point. But that's the difference between dating and relationship. You want to... Uh, is you that... Date until you, until you what, what, but is it a game? Is it a game? I think, a, I think a lot of from what what you're saying is a lot of people want twenty years and two hours. Yeah. Right. The movies can do it. Why can't I? Yeah. 
A lot of people want to skip the beginning and go right to the end. And what are you going to have in 20 years if you, if you, want, to, if you want to do two hours? Yeah, but what if you go on a date and you're not really sure, like you don't really have feelings for this person? What, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. You keep on seeing the person, but like you don't really know if like you're attracted to their personality. So, I mean, you could like brainwash yourself to like the person. I mean, if you just like... Have, have you ever heard of electromagnetic energy? Have you ever heard of this before? No. In, in, in psychology, it's now being used. People who are attractive are people who have high levels of electromagnetic energy. There's a guy by the name of John Gottman, scientist, one of the top scientists in North America. He's working for NASA. Um, he was just, he was an, he's an amazing guy. He lives in Colorado. And he uh, retired and decided to take all of, his, all of his base of science and go start figuring out relationships. And he now, I mean, this, if you've never read this book, buy it and read it. There's only one book, I assure you, from someone who has read more than 700 books on relationships, there's only one book to read. It's this one right here, John Gottman's Bible, called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. You can get it on the Kindle, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it everywhere. I, I, I can order it if you want. I have, I have one copy left. I must have ordered like 500 copies and I have one copy left, but I can order more if you want me to order more. Um, this is a very, very important book. This guy proves relationships. And one of the things he says, not in this book, but in a different book, one of the things he says is that electromagnetic energy makes people attractive. Sparks, you know, people say, I want sparks. That's electromagnetic energy. He said he's, he's shown it. He has, a, he has a system where he proves, he shows people. These are the, when people, the interaction of those sparks, there are some people who don't have that energy. They don't have that magnetic energy. So they'll never be attractive. They'll never be able to create that spark in the relationship. They could be amazing, amazing people, but not able to be able to create that spark. And... They're trying and they're looking and the person and the per they're constantly going on dates waiting for that to happen, but it's never going to happen. I'm sorry to point to, to pinpoint if you if you're not comfortable to say Rabbi, I'm not comfortable move to somebody else. But if I can pry a little bit. Sure. Can you describe what you're what 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 feeling? What's that feeling you want to feel? What are you looking for? Well I just I wanna feel like I, I I look at a person and I feel that, you know, this is the one, like in terms of personality, in terms like, you know what I feel like I want to touch the person, I want to be with the person. 
Can you can you paint me a picture? Specifics? Well, I mean, I mean general specifics. Is that is that an oxymoron? That's an oxymoron. I love that. Yeah. Specifics like of of what I would see or I don't know. Like what is what is that like if I had to if 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 I was coming to you as a matchmaker and I would say, Okay, I'm trying to find that guy, the guy of your dreams, what does he look like? What what is that what is that well, your what do you like if you had to put your finger on it and touch it, what does it look like? Well, the thing is is that there's some people that, you know, you could be physically you look at them and you think they're physically a beautiful person, but then when they start talking and when you feel their energy, it's really not happening. Like right? So it's gotta be sort of like person's the personality, so it's it's but what if they're what if they're introvertal? What if they're not the exuberant extrovertal type? They're not gonna then they're never gonna have that kind of click energy. Well then that means that I prefer somebody who's more assertive and who's decisive. So you like you like an extrovertal assertive person? Extroverted assertive person, like somebody who can take also quick decisions. Why why I, I'm sorry to pry. I just wanna I'm just and I and I'm I'm going somewhere with yeah. this. Um why, why, so, so we now have, we now understand that you want an extrovertal, you know, an extroverted, assertive person. Mm -hmm. Why? Why, why do you need that? Are you extrovertal and assertive? Do you consider yourself yes. that? I mean, so you, so you consider... In what situations, but in some situations I might find myself a little bit more introverted, but then I can become extroverted, so... Okay. Yeah. So that's great. That's great. And I'll tell you why that's great. Because the number one rule, and we're not going to get there so much tonight, but the number one rule when you're looking for somebody is you need to be a compliment to the person you're looking for. You have to, you can make the longest list in the world, but if you don't compliment the person you're looking for, that person will never exist. So you're very, very realistic about the person you're looking for. So far, I mean, we haven't gotten further than that, but so far you're, you're, you're very realistic, which is great. That's, that's, that's commendable, and I'm sure that person, you, you'll find them one day, soon. Do you think two extroverted people can... Absolutely. Absolutely. Two introverted people I don't know about, but two extroverted, yes, yes, two extroverted people can. Again, there's, there's things that will come up, and there's going to be more strife than... I mean, you have to know that that's part of the reality, but obviously you know that going into this, that there's, it's not going to be as easy. But you want you want a certain spark, and and so an introvert is not going to have that spark. Who you are first, <clears throat> and then sort of finding that match. So I mean, don't we want something that's like us? We yes, we want a compliment to us. Opposites don't attract. Sorry, whoever said opposites attract is lying. <laughs> Men and women are opposites. <laughs> that's enough. So we just have to figure out who we are, and then say that's exactly what we want. So I'm extroverted. I'm playful. So that's. Well, some people, some, some people are extroverted and they don't want an extroverted person. They want somebody a little more extroverted, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Because my friend, his mother and father, he's like this um, choleric type, always wants things done his way right now, screaming, yelling. Yeah. And she's the, it's going to be okay, don't worry, diplomatic, phlegmatic type, gets along with everybody. Yeah. That's, they're opposites. It's not really opposites. It's complementary, okay. which means if he is a very st strong, okay, there's a difference here. 
Somebody who's a very, very strong character will never be able to live with somebody who's a very, very strong character. If you're a balanced person, you can live with a balanced person. But if you're, if you're, if you're a drill sergeant, you cannot marry a drill sergeant. <laughs> It's just not, it's not going to happen. Right. 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 What? That would make for a good movie, though. That's a very good movie. Then the spots would fly. Well, I'm like other things. <laughs> Furniture. Pots, pans, <laughs> eggs, Tupperware. And at, and, and at the same time, on the flip side, if you're very, very quiet, two people who are really, really super quiet are going to have a really hard time even making conversations. So it may not be the best thing either. So... And not to get sidetracked, we can talk about so many different things here tonight. But I, I want to go back to why bother. And, 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 I, and, I, and I think that, and I really mean it. I really mean, why bother? Because there's so much against the institution of marriage. There's so much not in our favor. So why bother? I'm going to pass this around. I'm going to build up my question a little I'm going to build up my question a little more. Just a small little handout. Something to, something to think about. Why bother? The question is so maddening because there seems to be very little rational reason to support such a drastic move. No matter what you say, no matter what you're going to do, the obvious cons considerably outweigh any pros. What logic lurks behind a commitment that lasts an eternity? Would anyone in their right mind sign a job contract which contains a binding lifetime obligation? Only became a good picture. <laughs> when so many jobs are available, which do not require such an extreme commitment. While a marriage contract does, not con does contain an escape clause, invoking this clause invariably causes unspeakable pain and emotional havoc. So why not enjoy a relationship for their natural duration and then move on when the eroded passion ceases to justify the maintenance of the relationship. Why would any sane person willingly consent to stick with a relationship even after it deteriorates to the point that it's rocky and challenging at best? Let's face it. Let's be realistic. The improved economic standing of women and the elimination of much of the stigma attached to remaining single have caused the marriage rate to decline in recent decades. Nevertheless, despite the decrease in this peer pressure to marry, latest statistics show that more than three quarters of the adult population is married. So why do we marry? Why bother? Why do we need it? So I want to take a bit of a turn here. I want to go Kabbalistic. I am a rabbi after all, right? According to Kabbalah, the compulsion to rush into a lifelong commitment is an expression of the human soul's deepest ambitions. The subliminal signals emanating from the soul have caused the logic-defying institution of marriage 
to be an integral part of the human fabric since the dawn of time. The soul's desire to connect and commit makes the aspiration for marriage one of our most basic instincts. That's why, like you said, destiny, the first thing we spoke about tonight, there's this thing, of course I'm going to get married from the day you're born. Our parents, our grandparents, our grandparents put it into us, our great grandpa, gosh, it's so embedded into who we are. So you're going to get married. It's like, it's so part of the fabric of our life, we have to get married. So mystically, Kabbalistically, what's the soul's agenda? Why is, it, why is it so ingrained within us? What does it stand to gain from hooking up with another soul? The mystics explain the two primary considerations drive the soul's desire to marry. Number one, the desire to be complete and its need to transcend itself. Let's talk about this a second. The first marriage ever. Adam and Eve were initially created as a single two-faced body. This is Kabbalistic. A single being was split into two, man and woman, and then reunited in matrimony. The world of souls, the partition and reunification of male and female components of individual souls occurs continually. Every body is occupied by half a soul, and both body and soul only reach a state of completion when they are reunited with their bashert. We'll talk about that soon. Their long-lost other half. That's the term, that's the definition of bashert. It means that that's why we're not searching for our bashert. We're finding it. We lost. At birth, we lost our bashert. We lost our soulmate. Isn't that so nice? We lost our soulmate, so we're finding what we lost. Searching means you never had it. Finding means you lost it. The Talmud says that each soul's basheret, predestined soulmate, is determined before its birth. The two may be born continents apart with seemingly nothing in common, but divine destiny ensures that everyone's path intersects with their basheret. Always. We're going to talk about that. I know what you're thinking. In rare instances, due to external spiritual factors which may intervene, it's possible for people to marry spouses who are not their basherits. Even in such instances, however, eventually the two original soulmates will marry, whether later in life, as a second marriage, or in the future incarnation of the two souls. We're not going into reincarnation. We're not going into reincarnation tonight. The attraction to the opposite sex is often reve revealed as a weakness associated with base carnal urges, actually stems from the soul's innate desire to reunite with the soulmate. Extreme care must be taken not to misuse the sacred and potent power of sexual attraction by expending it to the context other than marriage. You see, I'll tell you the problem. There's a couple of problems. And it's not our fault. It's really not our fault. It's, society has made it very complicated. A couple of things happened. I think of somebody. I think of somebody. Oh, I think this couple will be amazing. Call up one, one of them and said, I got a great guy for you. So, okay, tell me who is it? Say the name. I know him. Mm. Okay. 
Okay, we're friends. I said, really? How do you know me? Uh, saw him at a, at a dinner. I said, oh, okay. Spoke to him? Yeah, two minutes. Not for me. What? You know him? You saw him at a dinner? You spoke to him for two minutes? You became Facebook friends, so you see his posts and now you know him? So what happened was, and again, we broke down the barriers of, 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 of male-female relationships, which to a certain extent is good, but to a certain extent, when it comes to putting those barriers back together, like marriage, it's really complicated. Because I know him. No, you don't. You spoke to him for two and a half minutes. How the heck are you going to know him? You didn't even go on a date. If you say I dated him, okay, I'll give you that. You know him? We're friends? You're not even friends. What do you mean you're friends? There is truth. Then there's the, then there's the we're friends. That's a whole different level. That means we're friends. Well, so you, what? Well, what does that mean? After two minutes, you know if you're attracted to somebody? Yeah. Oh, that, that marriage is going to last a long time. If you're, if you're basing your attraction on two minutes of, of, of connection, how long do you expect to be married for? Yeah, but you don't have time to go uh, get yourself in relationships and try things uh, and get to know somebody that you don't really feel it. Let it go with the first impression. You can't, like, like you said, you can't go and get deep with everybody. You go and you pick a, like, compare yourself. Okay. Right. I'm going to throw this one out there. Some of you heard it from me before, but I'm going to throw it out there. I'm taking off my rabbi hat for a second. Putting on the psychology hat. Touch creates lust. Lust fogs connection. I'll say it in simple terms. Touch makes it impossible to know whether you like the guy or not. Impossible. It's, it's, it, it clouds your entire view. There's, there's no way to know. It makes you think, it, you can actually think that you like somebody because you touch them. That's how powerful the connection of touch is. How do you live in the world today and be in a relationship without touch? And you're never going to touch them? Touch them, like, touch them like that? Yeah, I say touch them like that is enough, yeah. is, is enough to create that lust. I just mean simply even by mistake. That's how powerful touch is. Even a simple swipe of the shoulder by mistake. That's the movies. That's the movies. What do you mean? Yeah. It's not the movies. That's that 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 kind of thing is a movie, but I but touch is that powerful. There's no difference between touch and no touch. Sorry, there's no difference between touch and more touch. Yeah. Especially if it's not a passionate relationship yet, and you can think you're in a passionate romantic relationship when you probably never even had two words with the person. Or maybe you had just two words with a person. But nothing serious. You have no idea what the, who the person really is. 
So, so to a certain extent, it blinds the relationship. I'm just saying it. I'm putting it out there. I play the devil's advocate on that? Right. So sacrilegious. Anyway, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> the devil's advocate. Anyway. So, you say that if you can look at somebody and say, this person's for me. What if I say that you look at somebody and thinking that person's for me, you're putting your guard up right away. Oh, this could be the right one. This could be him. This could be the right one. A job, a good job. He, has got a lot going for him. Nice personality. No, but He's, not just on these things. So all of a sudden, your guards go up. Oh no! Wait, you're like putting all your defense stuff because this could be the one. This could be him. This is gonna be. And so what happens is that you build up this whole defense mechanism so that you want to make sure everything is perfect. That you destroy the whole thing. While, and this is very common, especially with Jewish men and non-Jewish women, I'll never marry her. I'll never marry her. My mom would have a heart attack if I married her. I'll never marry her. So don't worry. I can date her. There's nothing wrong with dating her. I'll never marry her. All of a sudden, your guard is down. Your entire guard is down. So you fall in love with her. And you're like, Mom, but I fell in love with her. Of course you fell in love with her. You didn't have any defense mechanism up. You'll never marry her. You said it yourself. Follow what I'm saying? Well, I follow what you're saying about the reaction of when you see somebody and you say, okay, the criteria, but I mean, and I agree with what you're saying, but just to add to that, what I want to say is that, you know, sometimes you could look at a person and say, okay, well, this could be potentially somebody for me and I want to get to know them first without saying, without putting no guards and, and, and being all excited about it because there's so much more that you need to find out right. about a person. But do you agree that, you know, we need to be able to sort of feel, have a, some sort of a feeling that this could probably be somebody that I'm interested in because I could look at a, at a person and be like, mm, you know, even though you are, you know, making a million dollars a year and could probably support me and I don't have to work. I, I, I do agree with you on that. And what I, what, I, what I say often is when you go on a first date, don't think, is he the one or not the one? Think, is he good enough for a second date? And when you go on a second date, don't think, is he the one or not the one? Think, is he good enough to go on a third date? And take it like that, one step at a time. That's all you really need. Relationships are huge. To tackle them in one hour is impossible. That's why there's professional screenwriters. But to say this person is good enough for a second date, I think that's realistic. But do you think it's realistic when you match two people and then one of them says, mm, like, I don't know, like, it's just a friend or I don't know if I'm attracted to them or whatever? There, like, there, there's some people who are bad daters. 
I know if somebody calls me up after a date, sometimes I get it, often I just set people up and I don't know what happens. But sometimes I'm more involved with the actual date. So if I know, if somebody comes back and says, my gosh, was that the most amazing date? She is incredible. She's like the woman of my dreams. I know she's calling me up in 20 minutes saying the guy's an idiot. <laughs> I know it. it that, because if you're that happy, there's no space for the other person to be happy. If you're really, really enjoying yourself on the date, you better close your eyes and take a step back and calm down. Because it means that you're taking over the date. So much so that the person's not really interested in you. There are some people who are really bad daters, people that do that all the time. Yeah, they just consume the dates. And everyone's like, whoa, this person's wrong. Mm -hmm. Overwhelming. It's very, very overwhelming. After 20 minutes. Yeah, there are people who do that, by the way. Yeah. Few and far between, but I've, I've, yeah, I thought I've seen it all, but I yeah. definitely, this week I had a story the guy proposed after one date. After or on? Uh, I, think, I think on. <laughs> At the end of the first date, he's, he's talking about, so we're getting married, and this is when we're getting married. Was he from Tosh? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it wasn't, that, it wasn't even that style. I mean, this guy is going to take a very, it's going to take a long time for him to get married if he's going to start proposing after the first date. <laughs> There are bad, there, this guy is simply a bad dater. He could be a great guy with great personality. The guy doesn't know how to date. I mean, there's a game to play in the beginning, right? It's kind of like sales. You've got to convince the other person why. I mean, there's going to be some distance. And... Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's a game. You just have to create a boundary. I think, yeah. I think, I don't like using the word game because it sounds like, you know, it's, 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 you're playing. But I think that you just got to create a boundary. You know there's certain things you do. Like I, if you ask me how to do, go on a first date, I will tell you what I think a first date should look like. And I think you should create a certain boundary. There should be a certain level of conversation on that date. You should talk about, you should small talk. And the whole first date should be trying to see if you have chemistry. That's it. The second date, you can go do active things. Go to a restaurant. Don't go to a restaurant. I say you got to find a place where you guys can look in each other's eyes and talk on a first date. That's a valid, confident first date, in my opinion. You may disagree okay. with me. So why not a restaurant, then? I was going to say the same thing. Why? <laughs> you know why? Because if you want to get out of the like you would have a full meal. It's like committing yourself to an hour of dinner with somebody that you might look at and be like, why am I Oh, uh, I'm not saying be that. No. A lot of people, a lot of defense mechanisms go up around food. A lot of defense, especially with females. They're very defensive when it comes to eating in front of people. I'm stereotyping females, but male, a lot of males are also like that. So you don't want to, on a first date, you don't want to create exter external places where you're going to have to put up your defense mechanisms for no reason, having nothing to do with the person. Literally, all to do is, I'm just, don't like, and you're very ca careful what kind of foods you're going to order. Like not pasta? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever it is. And why should you put yourself in a situation where you have to put up unnecessary defense mechanisms? Yeah, or why do you, then, then you just, then, then you just suck with yourself into two hours for no reason. And you're counting the hour, you're counting the minutes. Whatever, yeah. Like the odd time that I do take a girl out for dinner, because usually I'll just do coffee, um, I'll have a salad, I'm like, holy jeez, what would you eat? But there's a reason for that. So I'm very against dinner on the first date. Second date is fine, not a first date. I mean, I can go into more things that I'm against and for, but I believe 
to make it simple, I believe that a first date should be no external forces, should be a place where you can sit and talk, somewhere you can go and walk, and that's, an, that's it. That's, that's a first date. You see if there's chemistry. You put, what's good is also you put yourself in a position. If you're looking at each other's eyes, you can see if the sparks. Sparks are not going to happen when you're sitting in front of a meal. Sparks are not going to happen in the bowling alley. Sparks are not going to happen in a club. Sparks are not going to happen at a movie. Nobody goes on dates to movies. <laughs> I don't understand why. What is that a date? That's a social activity. That's not a date. If you're dating somebody, what, you just spent two hours staring at the same screen. We could be in the same room together. <laughs> like, what does that mean? There's certain, like, in my opinion, there's certain things you don't do. And one of them is you don't go to a movie on a date. Look, if, you, if, you're, if, you're court, if you're courting each other and it's four or five months into a relationship, go, on and go to a movie. But at the beginning of the relationship, you're going to a movie. Oh, yeah, I'm taking the girl to a movie. First date. What are you going to do? When are you going to talk? Oh, what a nice date. We didn't say anything to each other. What a good movie. <laughs> but the thing is, before you go out on that first date, you're also getting a sense of the person because you've spoken to them on the phone. Or maybe you haven't. Or maybe, maybe you spoke to them by email or by Facebook, mm-hmm. which today is a little Why? different. Isn't that rather an impersonal Very. itself? Very. But that's you're the world. go out on a date with somebody, speak to them. But that's, but that's what, that's what old, the phone today is old-fashioned. Texting. A lot of people are texting each other before the date. What is it's not even texting. People, guys will ask me for my Facebook instead of my phone number. Yeah. It used yeah. to be they would have the... Well, a lot of girls, guys are used to because a lot of girls will give out their Facebook because it's less, in, less in, intrusive. It's actually more intrusive. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I think, yes. I think so. But email, email is an example, is much less intrusive than a phone number. I'm like, okay, all right, we've gone to that point. I asked people, I'm like, is this offensive? And someone said, like, yeah, the first reaction was like, yeah, it's offensive. But then someone else made a good point. They're like, listen, what do you want to do after, like, three days to call you up and say, listen, I didn't have a good time. I, I don't see the connection. Instead, they just say, okay, fine, this is over. No confrontation, no yeah, the old, The old-fashioned, it's, it's not old-fashioned, all the, uh, the, stand, the other things that were obvious. This is how you break up. This is how you get into a relationship. It doesn't happen anymore. Well, Yeah, you know, it's, so it's more than that. It's more than that. Like one over four, I think it's, it's yeah, so, so it's very high. On that topic, we have to talk about that. So, I just want to I, I wanna, I wanna finish. I'll finish this, and I want to go to this a second, and then we're going to we'll wrap up. Aside for the bride and groom's commitment to each other. Sorry. Did I miss something? Yeah, you're going to commit yourself to its objective. You're doing that. Sorry. Whereas bodily needs are tend- and tendencies are, de- are decidedly egocentric. The, to- the soul is totally selfless. Commitment without expectation of a commensurate return, benefit, may sound absurd when talking the language of the body, but it's music to the ears of the soul. The soul's most fervent wish is to transcend itself. Marriage offers the soul the opportunity to express this altruistic nature. Marriage is about two souls who put their individual needs aside and commit themselves 100% to the success of the, the, the relationship. What's a successful marriage? When both give. Right? You've heard this before. Both people give into the marriage, into the relationship. Then they're taking from each other.
but they're not taking from each other. They're giving to each other, and as a side benefit, taking from each other. The soul, the body, is completely selfish. The body wants what it wants. It's animalistic. It just wants to eat, sleep. It wants to do what it wants. I need to eat. I need to eat right now. That's the body. The soul wants to go higher. The soul is spiritual. It wants to go out of itself. But how can the soul go out of itself if it doesn't have anyone to go out of itself to? Uh, it's only so many times you can go volunteer at, at the old age home or at the, or, or, or at the, or at special, at the special needs uh, place. Or, you know, that's, that's, and, and when those moments happen, you're excited. Well, in a, in a happy relationship, if anyone who's volunteered somewhere and left there and was so happy, it just was like the most amazing experience, that happens very often in a, in a happy relationship. Because the soul's desire to go beyond itself, that's what the soul wants. It just wants to transcend itself. It wants to go into someone else. It wants to, it wants to give. It, it's a constant desire to give. And marriage creates that spiritual unification. And once again, that's why People are running to the rabbis and the ministers and the imams. It's a spiritual thing. There's nothing physical about marriage. It does not make sense. It does, there's nothing physical about it. It should not work. It cannot work. But it does work. And as much as we're going to say, as high as the divorce rate is, it still works. There's still a lot of people who live very happy marriages. The reason why is two things. A, they're going into the marriage knowing that I am now giving. I'm going to, my soul is going to give, I'm going to transcend. It's not about me. It's not about my needs. It's about her needs or his needs. And the second thing is they're constantly working on it. They're constantly building the tools and the resources to, to you know, it's not just roommates. Even roommates is hard enough. But it's not just roommates. It's much more than that. And you constantly need to be able to build the tools necessary to develop a healthy relationship. So the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal, aside for the bride and groom's commitment to each other, Jewish marriages involve any two, any additional two commitments. Firstly, it's a commitment to the continuity, we have that word, of the Jewish nation. Jewish parents raising Jewish children with Jewish values is our nonviolent way of combating crusades, Chemoniki, Hitler, and all other bigots who aspired to relegate the Jewish people to the annals of history. Secondly, marriage is also a commitment to actualizing the divine plan which sprouted all of creation. God desired a home, and it's our mission to sanctify the world, making it a hospitable abode for its creator, otherwise known as tikkun olam. The, immuni- the, the, the ammunition we were provided to accomplish this task of the Torah and its commandments, and the home is the first frontier. Men and women are the perfect team to implement this plan. When working in harmony, they have the ability to make the home an epic center for the holiness whose rippling waves affect the neighborhood, country, and world, and the cosmos. Because of the considerable role marriage plays in the accusation of the master plan of creation, God expends considerable time and energy, as it were, on playing matchmaker. When he's occupied since the six days of creation, as the Midrash asks, he's preoccupied with matchmaking together couples, is the answer. Every individual wedding is a vital piece in the grand puzzle, which, when completed, will usher in the creation to its intended state of redemption. The Jewish marriage is about two people who commit themselves 100% to the success of God's relationship with creation. The only way we can understand God, the only way we can understand anything beyond ourselves, is through marriage. Marriage 
becomes a spiritual thing. There's nothing, nothing physical about it. And I want to tell you, every single one of these things are amazing. These are all really important components, pro or con, to marriage. But none of them describe marriage. They're good aspects. Marriage does have a destiny factor in it. There's a lot of fear of getting into marriage. There's companionship in marriage. There's commitment in marriage. There's continuity, especially with, with us. There's divorce, unfortunately. It's also a mitzvah. Love, there's structure, there's compatibility, there's respect. There's happiness and joy. There's even soulmate, which sounds very spiritual. There's cost, partnership, passion, trust, growth, planning, foundation, compromise and validation, but none of them describe marriage. Marriage is the act of completely going beyond yourself, going above yourself, doing something completely for someone else for no other reason. It's not blood. It's not a, someone who's blood-related. A parent doing something for their child makes sense. Even a child doing something for their parent makes sense. But spouses who are not blood-related, who have no real relationship, creating a life together and doing something for each other does not make any sense. And that's why it works. It works because... Somebody going beyond themselves, giving completely over to someone else, that's the secret to long-lasting and healthy relationships. If you say someone has lived together for 10 years and they have all those qualities, and I've people have been married for 40 years and I've none of those qualities. So... Because it has nothing to do with this. But you don't have to have, like... You don't have to have any of this. You have to... You have to no, have... They could have all these things... And they can have none of these things. But it's better to say they have all of them. They can have all of these things without them. One thing I can tell you, and I know I'm going to, I'm playing kind of the, the controversy role here, and some of you are not going to like what I'm going to say. But I do see people who are in committed relationships. I'm not going to say marriage, because some people are in very long relationships and they're not married. People who have been in their lives in committed relationships, you know it. You can tell. And people who have never been in a committed relationship, you can tell. You can tell with one thing. They have the ability to give beyond themselves. And that, it's, it's very obvious. And there are some people, very few people today, most people have been in a relationship. A committed relationship, in my opinion, is probably about five or six months. Um, but some people have not been there, and you know that. You know that they've, that they've never been there. And... It's really, really hard. It's really hard for them to understand certain things. It's an, whether, whether you believe in the institution of marriage, whether you believe that you have to go to a, a rabbi or whether you just or not, that's one topic. But the idea of being in a committed relationship with another person is really, really powerful. Excuse me and really important, that, that idea that we as human beings have the ability to transcend ourselves, to actually go beyond our bodies in this world. It's not even something that's, uh, you don't have to go to the mountains of Mongolia to do it. You can do it within this world. And one of the interesting things I like about Judaism, and the Judaism that I know, I don't know about the Judaism that you know, but the Judaism that, I've, that, that I know is that everything in Judaism is about being within this world. Every piece of spirituality is in this world. You know, we're spiritual. When we sit at a Passover Seder with food, I don't know, not so good, but with food on our plates, and we say that, that is our spirituality, 
being within this world. Spirituality is working this world, being within this world, and then being spiritual, being above it, being within this world and staying above it, being spiritual within the confines of this world. You don't have to go, and that's why I like, you don't have to go to a synagogue to be spiritual, you don't have to go to a church, you don't have to go to a mosque, just do it in your house. And most of the most important things of Judaism are at home. I mean, yeah, there's synagogue, it exists. Okay, it's a good thing to do every once in a while. I haven't been to one in years, but uh, it's pretty serious, actually. <laughs> uh, but, but the important things, a Passover Seder, a Hanukkah menorah, a Shabbos dinner, these are all around the table, these are all at home, because spirituality is in our home. And what's the home? What is the... What is the the, the, the fabric that weaves together the home, that's the marriage. That creates the home. There's houses, but homes are created through, through that marriage. And our spirituality and all of Judaism is centered around that. And I know that in the world today, it's become this taboo thing. Oh, sin, sin, sin. Sex, sin, this sin, that sin, everything sin. Not true. In Judaism, sex is the holiest thing the holiest act in all of Judaism. First mitzvah. The marriage institution is the greatest thing. We are so centered around this idea of marriage. But because we have lived in the society and we're used to certain things that society has taught us, we've been conditioned a certain way, it's very hard for us to understand what it looks like to live in a successful and happy relationship. And that is what scares us. That's where the fear comes in. The fear is coming in because we don't know what a good marriage looks like. So my secret, I can't give all my secrets in one class, but my secret to get rid of that fear is you've got to find a couple that you can say, this is my model relationship. This is what my relationship should be like. It can't be a book. It can't be a picture on a wall. It's got to be a couple. It could be somebody who you know, somebody who you knew. But somebody who you know enough to see the relationship. You have to be around them or had been around them enough to see the relationship and say, this is the relationship that I want. And then you'll know and see. And if they're still around and if you can speak to them, ask them. Sit them down. There's a, a woman in the community here who's writing a book called Rabbis in Love. And she interviewed, I think, 50 rabbis. So she came and interviewed my wife and I, and she sits down with us. And I was almost happy. I said, she said, well, what's your secret? And, and it was great. It was, a great. it was a great exercise. And I think, that, you know, I think you, that people have to do that. When I heard her do that, I said, no, people have to start doing that to couples. If you, it's a couple, a relative, uh, somebody who you admire, someone who you adore, somebody who you look up to, if you have to sit them down together and say, what's your secret? If you think that they have a fantastic relationship, there's no relationship that's perfect. That's not what relationships are. We don't live in a perfect world. But we live in a world that's becoming better and striving to be better all the time. So if you see that, or you've seen that in your life, and you have the ability today to sit this, this couple down and ask them what their secret is, do it. Because that's going to teach you more than any book, and than any class, or that anything is going to teach you about marriage. And I want to talk about a, little, a couple of these things here. Um, Destiny is a very important part of it because there is a certain notion within our people that, that there are things that are, that are destiny or they're a sheret, they're, 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 
predetermined in that there were two, were there were two halves of a whole and we're trying to find our other half. Um, fear, companionship, commitment, enmeshment, and dependence. These are commitment, see these are very common imbalances in relationships. There's a lot of people who want to get married to enmesh their lives with someone else. Enmesh means, I can't let you out of my sight. Enmesh means we become one flesh and blood and we are attached at the hip forever. That's not relationship. That's not marriage. Where someone's dependent on the other person, that's not a marriage. That's an imbalance in the marriage. That's a big problem. You cannot go into a relationship to be dependent on someone. And even when you're getting into the relationship, if you're altering your life so much so for the other person, something's going to go wrong in that picture. There needs to be two separate people, two separate entities creating a life together. The more you have... One of, one of the things that I like to watch is the Brooklyn Bridge. You know how the Brooklyn Bridge stays up? Stress. That's how it is. It's a stress bridge. My father always says, the one thing that keeps the Brooklyn Bridge up kills every new Jewish man. Kills <laughs> <laughs> every Jewish man. That, but there's one thing about creating a stress bridge. You need two very solid ends of that bridge. Two solid ends of that bridge. And that's to create a successful relationship that will end up making a stress bridge that will meet in the middle. You need two solid foundations, one on each side. So dependency and enmeshment is a big problem in relationships and it happens very often. Divorce. Yeah, we live in, in, in a world of instant oatmeal. But now we live in a world of instant relationships. It's easy. You know, Bill Cosby always has a line that he says, I say to my kids, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. There's a certain level at that divorce, like, you know, it's easy, easy come, easy go. You know why, you know why Adam and Eve ate from the tree? Because they didn't know. They were like a day old. No one, they didn't know reward and punishment. They didn't know what was easy come, easy go. Whatever, we're a day old, who cares? We didn't, we didn't have a great, we didn't do anything in this world yet, so we'll go out of this world. So we'll eat. God says, don't eat from the tree. What do you mean, don't? What does don't mean? Don't. I, I, I don't know. Tell a kid, don't eat. What are they going to do? Mm, this looks good. You know? My mom used to say, don't eat those carrots. Don't eat those carrots. You know? All of a sudden, I was running for the carrots. Love. What's love? Love doesn't happen overnight. According to John Gottman, and according to many other scientists who study relationships, how long does love take? Anyone who's been here? Till you can go from, till you can say we are in love, is, Six is 18 months. Yeah. 18 months to three years is the most crucial part of the relationship. That's really when most divorces happen during that time also. Because that's when the honeymoon is over. 18 months is the longest that the, the honeymoon stage, that stage of fantasy and, and alternate reality will stay. Structure and stability. We'll talk about that, compatibility, you guys all know about, right? 
respect, and th that's it. The key is the key is respect. And there's so many other so many other things here. Um, one of the interesting things that I thought somebody brought and I wanted to ask you about was foundation. No, there's one I said I wanted to talk about. No, no, no. cost. <laughs> cost. Yes, cost is. No, cost again. Hurry, cost to get the horse. Pay on the way. Pay on the way. That takes minimum of two years. Real trust doesn't happen for the first five years. Five years for trust. See, what, but I hope I'm not scaring you. These are... these. Okay, good. <laughs> but you, I wanted you to... I, what I'm trying to say here is these things are not going to happen overnight. Even if you're on a first date, you're not going to know. The two things that keep relationships going are trust and mutual respect. Those things, you're not going to know. See, the things I always say, if the, you know, the married people always say, the people who aren't married really knew what to, which questions to ask. But you don't know which questions to ask. And even when I told you which questions to ask, you won't even ask them because it doesn't matter to you now. But you could, it, could, it could work. And trust takes a long time. It takes a long time to really trust somebody you're in a relationship with. And any time in the middle of it, that's messed up. You, should, you know, it, and that's what happens. See, what happens is, a lot of people get into relationships, and something happens in the middle of that relationship, especially in the beginning of the relationship, and they don't trust each other. Well, every time you have a, a, a tick on your trust radar, that's another six months. It's not another day. It's not another week. It's another six months. If you get ten of those in your first year, it's going to take you five, six years to develop that trust. And, and, and that's all, you know, all these things. You know, he said he was going out to his, with his friends, and blah, 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 he went somewhere where, you know, and she's screaming at him, what, we're married, and what are you going to these places? You're not single anymore. That's a trust issue. He lied to her. Lying. Lying in relationships. Lying will destroy anything trust, and there's no way for a relationship to go longer than five years, or longer than seven years without trust. It's impossible. You must have trust by seven years. There's three, there's three times where high divorce rates. That's 18 months to three years. Those are the highest divorce rates. Seven years and 18 years. Those are the three. Usually if you make it, those are milestones. So you make it to those three, you know, any one of those milestones. Once you pass the seven-year mark, suppose this is what they say. I, I just read this stuff. But, uh, um, and once you pass the seven-year mark, but I see it also in people that, in the couples that I counsel and I see there's a common thread. Um, once you pass that, they say that you're 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 scot free until the 18 year mark. And those are the three. There's also there's other components. You know, guy walks, guy walks at the rabbi. It's like, I'm ready to get divorced. Like, guy looks like, how old are you, Henry? Like, 95. How long have you guys been married? Like, 65 years in March. Like, 65. Why do you want to get divorced? Don't you think it's about time? <laughs> so um, that's my story for tonight. Any questions?